Hello, this is Andy, and you're listening to Federal Andy. Episode 24, The Insider and Liar. Shortly after 2 a.m. on Friday, October 28th, a break-in occurred at the Pelosi House in San Francisco. At home alone was Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi's husband, Paul. Apparently, a man armed with a hammer entered the house through a back door and immediately started screaming, Where is Nancy? Obviously, looking for the Speaker of the House. Somehow, Paul Pelosi convinced this intruder, who had not attacked him at this point, that he needed to go to the bathroom. And the intruder allowed him to do so. Pelosi's phone was charging in the bathroom, and he was able to apparently dial 911 and left the phone connected to 911 so that the operator could hear the conversation in the house between Pelosi and the attacker. At 2.27 a.m., police were dispatched to the house, uh, apparently with the understanding that there was an active incident occurring at the residence at the time. When the police arrived at the house, and knocked on the front door. Someone inside the house opened the front door, according to the police. They did not specify who opened the door. Once the door was opened, the police saw the suspect struggling with uh, Pelosi, and each of the men had a hand on a single hammer. While the police were watching from outside the house, standing in the open doorway, they told both men to drop the hammer, at which point the intruder pulled the hammer away and violently attacked Pelosi with the hammer. At that point, police entered the house and tackled and disarmed the intruder and arrested him. They requested paramedics and an emergency backup as well. Uh, The police have since charged the intruder with attempted homicide, assault with a deadly weapon, elder abuse, and burglary, among other offenses. Both Paul Pelosi and the intruder were taken to the hospital and remained there apparently throughout the evening. The suspect was later identified by police as a David DePape, 
I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing the last name correctly. It's spelled D-E capital P-A-P-E. And he um, <laughs> apparently is, um, well, uh, apparently is a pro-Trump and anti-democratic activist and uh, has a history of deeply anti-Semitic writings and making baseless claims on his social media accounts. Uh, Paul Pelosi was apparently uh, diagnosed with a skull fracture which required uh, surgery, which was successful. And it's my understanding that there was a report he also had an injury to his right arm or and or possibly wrist and hand, uh, evidently from an attempt to try to defend himself or protect himself from the attack. Pelosi, uh, Paul Pelosi is 82 years old. And uh, there were uh, other serious injuries other than just the, the skull fracture. But he is expected to make a full recovery. I do kind of have a couple of questions about this break-in and attack, however. I kind of find it surprising that, number one, one source said that Paul Pelosi was alone in the house asleep when this occurred. So I am wondering who opened the front door if the intruder and Paul Pelosi were both visible to the police in the house holding a hammer. It would seem from that description of events that neither one of them actually opened the front door. And I also wonder why the house didn't seem to have an alarm system, or if it did, it wasn't turned on. The house is, I guess you could arguably say it, it's a mansion. It certainly is worth several million dollars. It's located in San Francisco. The house sits right on main streets. I didn't notice that there was a big fence around it or anything. It appeared that you could just walk off the street straight up a sidewalk to the front door. Photos of the house showing the apparent location of entry show glass on a brick patio and a row of uh, glass of doors with glass panes in them on that uh, patio with uh, show two of the doors open at the time. If there was an alarm system, I would think breaking the glass would activate the alarm immediately. Certainly opening a door that is not normally used for entry, which this one didn't look like it would be, uh, should set the alarm off as well. Details are still kind of vague, but it seems that if 
Paul Pelosi was able to go into his bathroom and dial 911 on his cell phone, which was, was in the bathroom charging at the time. I'm assuming that the, the bedroom is upstairs or I don't know, maybe it's even in that room with all of the glass doors. I don't know. But uh, it seems that there would have been time for Pelosi to react to the break-in and set off an alarm or something, which maybe he did and we just don't know those details yet. But I find it odd that no mention of an alarm was made. Uh, I would think that if an alarm had had been the reason Pelosi woke up, that that would have been part of the story, but maybe not. I did notice in some of the photos that the house appears to have cameras mounted on the outside of the house. And I would think multimillionaires living in a big house in San Francisco would have an alarm system. So that's just kind of a mystery. I would like to know how that happened. I think it's tragic that the political climate in this country right now is to the point where people are accepting violence as a way of expressing their um, political protest. I made the comment on Twitter that uh, I was surprised that the house didn't have an alarm system, and I suggested that, and I was being sarcastic with this remark, but apparently some people didn't catch that, that maybe Pelosi should cut back on her ice cream purchases and buy an alarm system for her house instead. Wasn't trying to, (laughs) wasn't trying to be mean toward the Pelosi's. I was just kind of expressing the fact that, uh, seemed odd that there was an alarm system. And I guess I was a little surprised that apparently they don't have a safe room. I I guess maybe I've watched too many movies, but it seems to me that the third person in line to be president, after obviously the vice president would uh, step up if something happened to the president and then the something happened to the vice president, then the speaker of the house would be uh, the next in line. So she's about as far up in government as you can get. And apparently she does have security that uh, travels with her, but she was not at home at the time of the break-in or attack. She had been traveling extensively and was in Washington when this happened. And of course, she has now gone to San Francisco to be with her husband. But I guess I'm a little surprised that they would not have insisted that the house has an alarm. And I would think that they would require the alarm to be used because obviously if Pelosi's at home and needs to have conversations with someone, I would think they would want to make sure that the house doesn't have bugs in it where 
the Chinese or the Russians can listen in on conversations. <laughs> maybe, maybe I really have just watched too many movies, but you know, you hear about the microwave waves that are causing people to have brain problems and, and things that are apparently sent out from one building to another or from a satellite to a building or something. So who knows? I mean, if they're going to try stuff like that, would putting a bug in uh, the speaker uh, of the house's uh, personal home be too far off into left field? <laughs> I don't think so. I guess I just expected that there would have been uh, definitely security system and certainly in use if Mr. Pelosi were at home by himself, uh, you would think he would turn on the alarm system. I know that uh, I have the alarm system on every night. And uh, if somebody breaks a window or opens a window or door uh, in the middle of the night, the alarm goes off immediately and it's monitored. So the alarm actually calls the uh, security service and the police and we've got landline and cellular and battery backups and you name it and uh, <laughs> between glass break sensors and window and door sensors and motion sensors and sensors underneath the carpet and everything else uh, yeah it's going to go off somehow and I would certainly think the Pelosi's would have something comparable to that. And uh, I guess I'm surprised that uh, he was the only one at home. It seems like a house that large, there would be, definitely would have to be staff because Nancy's too busy to keep the house clean. She would need somebody to help her maintain the house and she's gone most of the time. And I would think that they would have a live-in uh, something, you know, uh, and I guess I kind of expected that there would be some sort of security there, but, uh, maybe not. Anyway, I'm not faulting the Pelosi's for having an alarm system or not having one or for, uh, Mr. Pelosi not turning it on if he failed to do so. We don't know that that's the case. I'm just kind of wondering but there's no doubt in my mind who is responsible for this. And to be a responsible party, you don't have to be present when something happens. If you work with a group of people to rob a bank and you plan the break-in and you were the one who assembled all of the people, if you weren't present when the bank robbery occurred, you're still in trouble for that. Especially if everybody that was involved points their finger and says, that's the person that hired me, that's the person that came up with the idea, that's the person that put this all together. So you don't have to be there. 
And we have had the misfortune of having a president in the White House, and I'm not talking about the current occupant of the White House, I'm talking about the previous occupant, President 45, Donald Trump, who apparently feels that the laws of the land do not apply to him. He doesn't have to abide by protocols that have been in place for many years. He doesn't have to answer to anyone for any of his actions. And he is free to express whatever he wants to say about anyone or anything without any retribution or retaliation or responsibility for what happens because of his incitement. Yes, we do have something in this country known as free speech. And that is a very, very important right that must be protected. But like all of the rights that we enjoy, there are limits to all of them. None of them are unrestricted. So you do have the right to free speech. But if you say something that harms others, you can be held liable for that. We've all heard the example of you can't stand up and yell fire in a crowded, dark theater when there isn't a fire or there isn't a reason to believe that there's a fire. Because if people get trampled or if people get killed trying to get out of a door, uh, you're going to be held responsible for that if there's no fire. If there's a fire and something like that happens, you were trying to be a good citizen and alert everybody that, you know, hey, the building's on fire. You might want to get out of here. But if you do it without reason to believe that there's really a fire, you don't see smoke or you don't think you smell smoke or you don't see flames, you, your right to free speech in that sense, uh, in that instance, isn't really protected. And we have heard Donald Trump over and over and over and over again incite violence. It started back when he announced he was going to be running for president. That was when he got the first uh, little dose of... um, coverage with the national media. And he realized that if he said something, especially if it was outrageous or insulting or disrespectful or racist, it would get tons and tons and tons of coverage in the media. 
And there are a lot of people that think any media coverage at all is good. I don't know. They say that the memory of the American people these days is very short. Are we going to allow this to continue? What is it going to take before the powers that be in this country, the leaders of the two major political parties, step up and say, folks, this is unacceptable, it's not patriotic, and it's un-American? Are we going to have to have another November 22nd, 1963 event in Dallas, Texas before people speak up? While there have been some leaders on the right express their concerns and sympathies and hopes that uh, Mr. Pelosi recovers quickly and fully. There have been some notable people who have not had any comment at all. And among them are Donald Trump, who probably thinks he had absolutely nothing to do with this, and wannabe Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy, Not a peep from either one of them as of the time I'm recording this podcast, which is uh, just before 2 o'clock in the afternoon on Saturday, October 29th. Thoughts and prayers, I guess. Only they're not even going to say thoughts and prayers. Nancy Pelosi is number three in line to be the President of the United States of America if something horrible were to happen to the current President and Vice President. And an attack like this on a family member is going to require some changes need to be made. And just like On January the 6th of 2021, when the President of the United States at the time, Donald Trump, after inciting a riot that resulted in millions of dollars of damage to the U.S. Capitol, disruption to congressional proceedings mandated by the Constitution of the United States of America, and resulted in the loss of life and injuries to multiple law enforcement officers. Reportedly, Trump just sat and watched everything happen on TV and did nothing. We have testimony from multiple people under oath that... Trump was asked to do something, to go on television and tell his supporters to stop. He started off the morning with a rally out in front of the White House. 
and he was standing behind bulletproof panels. And that's when he began the incitement of all of this. Actually, he began the incitement of it months earlier. But on that particular day, that is when he really pulled the plug on everything. And he knew that outside of the fenced-in area were a whole bunch of other supporters that weren't allowed in because they were armed. They had weapons. And Trump knew it. He told the Secret Service or the FBI or whoever to, to let them in, let his supporters in. And after being told that they were armed and couldn't pass through the uh, detectors, his <laughs> response was, well, they're not going to hurt me. <laughs> so if they hurt someone else, that's okay, apparently. This is the height of irresponsibility. When you become the President of the United States, you take an oath of office. Trump, repeatedly during his four years in office, did not keep his oath of office. He failed to protect the Constitution and he failed to protect the people of the United States, and he failed to protect and defend the Constitution. Donald Trump is a terrorist. He is a domestic terrorist. And these events where intruders are breaking into the homes of government officials in the middle of the night with the intent of harming them, terrorism. What happened at the U.S. Capitol on January the 6th was terrorism. And Donald Trump has never done a thing to stop it. On January the 6th, after hours of watching the Capitol being destroyed and people being beaten, after being urged by numerous people in his administration, numerous family members, finally, under immense pressure, he reluctantly went on TV and told them to go home and noted that they were very special people. More on that in a minute. Is this the kind of country you want, America? Because if you do, you just keep on voting for Republicans because there's a whole bunch of Republicans in Congress right now, a whole bunch of Republican governors, state lawmakers that support Trump after everything that he's done, twice impeached. The only president, I think, in history that's ever been impeached twice while he was in office. He wasn't convicted because the Republicans in the Senate 
didn't bother to hold an honest trial. And that is the kind of behavior that they're going to exhibit in the future if you allow them to have control of Congress. It is absolutely imperative that Republicans must not control the House of Representatives or the Senate. Because if they do, our democracy is gone. And if you think crime is bad now, you ain't seen nothing yet. Folks, it's time to sit down and have a long talk with ourselves about what is going on in this country and how much we're willing to tolerate. Is it going to take another November 22nd, 1963? Is it going to take another Pearl Harbor? Another September 11th, 2001? What is it going to take, America, before we've had enough? It's Sunday, October 30th, and I did a little more research on the Pelosi incident in uh, San Francisco and was able to verify that according to the San Francisco police, there was indeed a third person in the Pelosi house when Paul Pelosi was attacked. They have not said, the police have not said whether this person was a family member or an employee of the Pelosi's, perhaps a household employee, a a housekeeper, or maintenance person, or a guest, somebody that was invited to stay there. I am going to make an assumption, which I hate to do, but the fact that nothing has been said about a second suspect or a second person being arrested makes me think that the person who was in the house, the third person that opened the door that allowed the police to see the attack must have been someone who was known to the Pelosi's and was supposed to be in the house at that time. I also checked to see what kind of security is offered to the uh, Speaker of the House. And I was a little surprised to see that the Secret Service does not protect members of Congress, even if you're third in line to the presidency. That really surprised me. Uh, Apparently, a Secret Service agency spokesperson said that the Secret Service is officially charged with protecting the president, the vice president, their families, the White House, visiting foreign heads of state, former U.S. presidents, their spouses, 
and events of national significance. So that's that's kind of a shock to me and it seems maybe a little bit of an oversight. I don't know. Um, so basically, members of Congress are dependent upon the U.S. Capitol Police. And the uh, United States Capitol Police said that they do not discuss potential security measures for members. So here are a couple of facts about the Capitol Police. There are more than 2,300 officers assigned to the U.S. Capitol, and there are some civilian employees as well. Uh, There's an annual budget of about $460 million. And, of course, there are over 500 members of Congress, if you consider both houses, the House of Representatives and the Senate, And apparently, of those, there are only a small number of members in leadership positions that actually receive full-time protective details from the Capitol Police. And we don't know if their families receive any kind of protection. It would seem to me that families probably ought to have some sort of protection, uh, especially with the violence in the United States becoming so much more predominant these days. However, the head of the Capitol Police, um, a man by the name of J. Thomas Manger, said that the U.S. Capitol Police really needs more about 400 more officers uh, to provide all of the protections that are really necessary. And as of this past August, members of Congress started receiving up to $10,000 each for home security system equipment and installation. And this was due to the uh, dramatic increase in threats to lawmakers following the January 6th attack for authorizing uh, the new program. And this is according to the House Sergeant-at-Arms. It's probably not a surprise to learn that threats to members of Congress have increased dramatically since President 45 took office and since he has left office. So for from 2017 through the current period, the threats have escalated greatly. I think $10,000 is an awful lot for an alarm system. I know that uh, a lot of places, uh, alarm companies where I live will install a free alarm system if you sign a contract for monitoring for a few years. Now, granted, that's just a base system. I think they do your entry doors, and I think they set up motion detectors inside the house, and that's about it. But um, 
we recently installed a new alarm system, you know, in, in, in our house and, uh, it, we had an existing system in there, but, uh, uh, it was a big upgrade and, uh, it wasn't, uh, $10,000. So at any rate, uh, <laughs> the, uh, Security situation for Speaker Pelosi is still kind of unknown. That third person in the House very well could have been a Capitol Police officer, but who knows? That's just, I'm just naming possibilities at this point. I guess we will find out, or hopefully we'll find out at some point. Now, Nancy Pelosi's house is in the Pacific Heights neighborhood in San Francisco, and that is a very uh, expensive part of town. And because of her high visibility in Congress, that area has been uh, the scene of protests and vandalism for many years. In 2020, some uh, people were gathered outside of her house in response to a video of the speaker getting her hair cut indoors during a time when it was forbidden under city COVID laws because they were out of jobs. And so if you were a, uh, worked in a hair salon, they were pretty upset over, over that. And in 2021, police were called to her house after vandals had uh, left a pig's head in her driveway and had vandalized her garage door. I don't remember if they smeared blood on it or painted it or what. And uh, her house also got egged that year. So this is not new to the Pelosi's. I will say my when I looked at pictures of the house, I was a bit shocked that there was not, I guess I expected it to have security gates around it, but the, the driveway to the house is, is, it's a very short driveway. You could probably just park, you know, I think it looked like it was probably a two car garage and you could park one car in the driveway with the garage doors closed. And then you're basically at the street and the walk from the street up the sidewalk up to her front door is not a terribly long distance because the house does not sit back from the street very much. And I guess I expected that she would have at least had wrought iron gates, eight, nine, ten feet tall, something like that, that would be a deterrent to people getting up closer to the house. So it'll be interesting to see what changes are made after this. I'm, I'm sure that they're probably, um, there probably will be some changes. And uh, I would suspect that the Capitol Police will probably send out advisories to members of Congress that considering the... Um, anti-democracy, unpatriotic, anti-American mood that seems to be sweeping the right side of this 
legal or the right side of the political spectrum in this country today, they might want to, you know, probably issue some uh, security guidelines to members of Congress about keeping doors and windows locked, keep your alarms on when you're at home. They even tell us that where I live, uh, if you're home, even during the day, you can still have intruders and it's best to just keep the alarm on. Of course, if you're going to go outside to take out trash or something like that, you have to remember to turn the alarm off. But uh, once you get in the habit of doing that, you you pretty much don't forget. And uh, if it's monitored, you can always tell them, oops, my bad. So I haven't read much more about this other than Nancy Pelosi thanked everyone for their kind thoughts and their well wishes, and she said that their children and grandchildren were pretty traumatized by this, and and I can certainly understand that. I don't think that this is the kind of America any of us want. I don't think most Americans want to be armed to the hilt where they feel like they have to have a gun with them every time they leave their house. They've got to have a gun with them at all times when they're in their house. And it's interesting to me that the very party that is now complaining about crime in America is the exact same party and the exact same people who are preventing anything from happening that would help reduce crime. They they will not support reasonable gun laws. The Second Amendment says well-regulated. Well-regulated. And it also says militia. So that tells me that if you have a right to bear arms, you need to be in a militia. And being a citizen who's not in the reserves or the guard or something like that, that's not a militia. Well-regulated means it would be some sort of an organized militia under government control, and there are other things in in the Constitution uh, and in the uh, Bill of Rights, I believe, that indicate militia is uh, government-run. But... You can't complain about crime being bad in our cities and then resist all attempts by the Democrats to do anything about it. And with guns being such a... It's just... It's a, a part of the crime problem in this country. We have more guns than we do people in this country right now. And when you have states that are going to hand out guns with no background checks, no safety training, no permits, no insurance, they can carry them pretty much almost anywhere they want to, except they don't want them in, the legislature doesn't want guns in the areas where they have to go to work, concealed or open carry, whatever, they don't care. And you cannot 
insist that that's the way it has to be and complain about high crime at the same time. No, putting in gun restrictions and sensible gun laws isn't going to stop all of the crime with guns, but it will cut down on it because it's been done in other countries and they don't have the problem with gun violence that we have here in the United States. And the bottom line is, if something doesn't change, someone's going to get killed. Someone is going to die because of this. It's happened before, and we should know that if we don't do something now to prevent it, it's going to happen again. I don't think most Americans want to live in a country where you have to be in fear constantly. And we can change that, but we have to have cooperation from the Republicans, and they don't want to cooperate with the Democrats at all. They have put their party and the financial resources, the income of their party from big wealthy donors before protecting the Constitution or the country or the security and safety of the American people. And that is obvious. And it's a real shame. So I took a little bit of a break. It is now Monday, October 31st. Happy Halloween, everyone. And before I get the chance to finish up this podcast... It just keeps evolving. I just wanted to make this kind of a short podcast about what happened with uh, the Pelosi break-in. And it, it just keeps evolving. And just to show how nutty and insane things on the right are, I've now heard from multiple sources that either... Paul Pelosi or the intruder or both of them were caught in their underwear. And the insinuation was that Pelosi is gay or bisexual and had called uh, some guy to come up and I guess have sex or maybe went out to a bar and picked him up and took him home and turned into an altercation when it became time for payment or something like that, none of which is true. And then I don't know how this got into the conversation, but somebody mentioned Castro, and a bunch of people on the right are now saying, oh, you know, so Fidel Castro... Communism. So Pelosi's a communist. Not realizing, of course, that there is a section of San Francisco known as the Castro. <laughs> they, they don't even try 
to check. They are so desperate to throw anything out there. It's like they're just throwing stuff at the wall and they're going to see what sticks. They want to divert attention from their party and their actions and what they're doing. And this is how they're doing it. This is how they're doing it. And there is nothing about this that is normal. Nothing at all. So, anyway, I am going to try to get this podcast wrapped up and published today. But uh, I guess that depends on what else happens. I wanted to discuss the things that Donald Trump said during his presidency and while he was running for the presidency that are examples of his incitement of violence, his approval of violent actions, his racism. And when you use his own words, it's kind of Well, it's not kind of. It's absolutely impossible to deny the fact that Donald Trump is the problem. He's a big part of the problem. He is responsible for much of what we see going on in the nation right now. And I noticed that yesterday he apparently tweeted that the United States is evil. He used the word evil. So the country that he supposedly loves so much, which is obviously he doesn't, um, is evil. And I guess it hasn't occurred to him that he is responsible for a large part of that. So I'm going to see if I can get this wrapped up and uh, get it published so that y'all can hear it. Thanks for listening and uh, I'll be back in a second. Let's take a look at the words Trump has either said, spoken, out loud, on videotape most of the time, or the tweets that he has written, some of which have been removed by Twitter, and others have been, I think, deleted by either Trump or perhaps one of his... um, people who (laughs) sees something and says, this isn't going to look good. Let's get this off of here. So the nightmare really began on June 16th of 2015. That was the day that Trump announced he was going to run for president at his building in Manhattan, known as the Trump Tower. And on that day, he made disparaging remarks about Mexicans. And what he said was, quote, when Mexico sends its people, they're not sending their best. They're not sending you. They're not sending you. They're sending people that have lots of problems, and they're bringing those problems with us. They're bringing drugs. They're bringing crime. They're rapists. And some, I assume, are good people. End quote. 
So they're bringing those problems with us. So I'm guessing he meant to us or they are bringing those problems with them. Nothing that this man says really makes sense. So just a note here to all of his followers who talk about Fetterman and his speech issues since he had a stroke. Donald Trump isn't any better. If you go back and read the stuff that he has said in response to questions from reporters, it doesn't make sense. Half of it doesn't make sense. He doesn't answer the question. <laughs> and that that statement that he made, by the way, was almost completely false. I mean, yeah, maybe there are some people that uh, are coming and uh, they have drugs. But not all of them. Uh, maybe some of them are criminals or rapists, but not all of them. So, and he even said, I assume some are good people. Well, shouldn't we assume that most of them are good people until they prove that they're not? I mean, <laughs> come on. It's just amazing. Then, moving forward, uh, on July 6th, 2015, Donald Trump said, quote, What can be simpler or more accurately stated? The Mexican government is forcing their most unwanted people into the United States. They are, in many cases, criminals, drug dealers, rapists, etc., End quote. So he's stirring up his supporters, making it sound like uh, we're getting nothing but a bunch of uh, criminals, drug dealers, rapists coming into the country. There is a process, by the way, for people to come into the country and remain. It's not just open borders where you can just walk in and say, I'm staying. And sure, there probably are people that sneak in, but for the most part, most of them are trying to be here and do it legally. It's a long, difficult, tedious, tedious, um, expensive process, by the way. On August 11th, 2015, Donald Trump called Senator Bernie Sanders weak when uh, Sanders was having a rally because Bernie Sanders was running for president also uh, on the Democratic Party ticket. And there were some protesters who basically seized the microphone at one of the campaign rallies. And Trump's comment about that was, quote, I thought that was disgusting. That showed such weakness, the way he was taken away by two young women. They just took the whole place over. And he continued, that will never happen with me. I don't know if I'll do the fighting myself or if other people will, but that was a disgrace. I felt badly for him, but it showed that he's weak, end quote. So, 
I don't know. Um, that seemed to me, uh, and the and I, the whole point of the protesters were Black Lives Matter, and I think that that was Trump's way of attacking Black Lives Matter without actually coming right out and and saying it. So instead, he attacked Senator Sanders because, well, I guess he's fair game since he's running for the presidency also. But other people commented, did Trump just threaten to physically fight Black Lives Matter protesters? Chris Hayes from MSNBC tweeted that. And knowing what I know about Bernie Sanders, I believe that all he was doing was allowing them their right to free speech. They had something to say. They were obviously upset he let them say it. Whether he agreed with them or not doesn't matter. They were citizens. And they had something they wanted to say, and he let them do it. And I think that that shows strength rather than weakness. It shows that he has a respect for the laws of the land. He has a respect for the people of the land. And he understands that sometimes people get upset and they want to have their voice. And he allowed them to do that. And I think that is a wonderful thing. On August 19th, 2015, two brothers in Boston uh, mentioned Trump when they were arrested for uh, urinating on a homeless man and beating him with a metal pipe. When they were in custody and being questioned by the police, one of the brothers commented, quote, Trump was right. All of these illegals need to be deported, end quote. And the guy that they attacked was a 58-year-old Mexican-American who was a permanent U.S. resident. When Trump found out that the attack in Boston, which was widely reported in the news, uh, when he found out that the brothers said that he basically uh, inspired their actions, he didn't say that it was wrong. He didn't say, we don't do this kind of thing in the United States of America. This is wrong because everybody has rights while they're here in the country, whether they are citizens, permanent residents, visitors, or even if they're here illegally, they do still have some rights. But instead, he said that they were passionate. Quote, I think that would be a shame. I will say the people that are following me are very passionate. They love this country. They want this country to be great again, but they are very passionate. I will say that. End quote. And there was a bit of a backlash for that. Uh, the next day, well, I think it was two days later, um, on August 21st, he uh, tried to fix it a little bit by saying, quote, Boston incident is terrible. We need energy and passion, but we must treat each other with respect. 
I would never condone violence, end quote. That's, that was a tweet that he tweeted on his official account. So, yeah, okay, I would never condone violence. Well, we know better than that, don't we? On October 23rd, 2015, Trump was having a campaign rally in Miami, Florida. And there were protesters there who repeatedly interrupted what he was saying. And Trump became visibly irritated by this. And instead of, hey, letting them have the mic and expressing their feelings like Senator Bernie Sanders did, recognizing that these people have a right to free speech, uh, Trump said that he would be a little more violent the next time when he addressed protesters. His comment was, quote, see, the first group... I was nice. Oh, take your time. The second group, I was pretty nice. The third group, I'll be a little more violent. And the fourth group, I'll say, get the hell out of here. End quote. And this is all on video, of course. And you can see that the protesters uh, were being forcibly dragged out of the campaign event. And his uh, supporters seem to be quite pleased with that. November 21st, 2015, uh, Birmingham, Alabama, another rally. Trump demanded that uh, black activist Mercutio, I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, uh, Mercutio Southall Jr. Um, needed to be removed uh, after the guy yelled, Black Lives Matter. And on stage, Trump was angered by this, and he said, quote, Get him the hell out of here. Get him out of here. Throw him out. End quote. And on the video that was captured by CNN, uh, the guy fell to the ground. I assume he was trying to leave. And um, a bunch of white guys appeared to uh, kick him and punch him. And I don't believe that Donald Trump said, no, 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 we don't do that. We, you know, he would never incite violence, right? But when it happens, he's not going to say anything to stop it because I'm pretty sure if he said, hey, you guys back there, don't do that. Leave him alone. Leave him alone. He's leaving. But he didn't. Silence is acceptance, as they say. And while the security guards were mo removing the guy from the rally, uh, the, crowd all, the crowd chanted, all lives matter. And the very next day, Trump told Fox News, quote, maybe he should have been roughed up because it was absolutely disgusting what he was doing. I have a lot of fans and they were not happy about it. And this was a very obnoxious guy who was a troublemaker who was looking to make trouble, end quote. So, <laughs> okay, so much for free speech, right? Yeah, that's just what you want, a guy in the White House that doesn't recognize your rights. And there's lots of examples of Trump not recognizing people's rights.
And by December of 2015, the Trump campaign was getting a lot of bad press and a lot of people were complaining about the fact that his rallies seemed to be violent all the time. So his campaign uh, had advised a strategy that said instead of doing anything to harm the protester, uh, they wanted everybody in the audience to, to just chant Trump, Trump, Trump until security guards removed the protesters from the uh, venue. And in uh, mid-December, the campaign started playing an announcement at the beginning of rallies. And it basically said, quote, if a protester starts demonstrating in the area around you, please do not touch or harm the protester. This is a peaceful rally, end quote. And the attendees all laughed when the announcement was played. They knew better. They knew that their leader was perfectly okay with the violence. Yeah. So what happened at his rallies, it was just, it was a typical event. They would make a big deal out of ejecting protesters from the rally. Trump would often yell, get him out. Um, January 8th, 2016, uh, a woman by the name of Rose Hamid, Hamad, Hamid, I'm not sure how you pronounce that, I'm sorry. Uh, she was a 56-year-old Muslim woman, and she was wearing a hijab, and she was taken out of a Trump rally after she just stood up in silent protest over Trump's uh, speech. And in the speech, he was talking about the Syrian refugees fleeing war, uh, being affiliated with ISIS. And the whole point of this woman attending the rally was that she wanted to show Trump and his supporters uh, what Muslims were like. And not all of them stood for violence. Just the same as when we have right-wing violence here in this country, the right-wing is quick to point out, you know, well, that's, you know, that's not everybody. And I think most people understand that. But it does seem that the right-wing is more likely to accept violence. Actually, I think polling shows that they they think Violence is okay if it's necessary to get what they want, I guess. At this point, at this rally, Trump had already called for a total and complete shutdown of Muslims entering the United States. So, yeah. And one of the best 
most off, best known, most often quoted lines of Trump's was on January 23rd, 2016, when he was having a rally in Iowa and Trump said, quote, I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and I wouldn't lose voters, end quote. And you know what? That pretty much does sum it up. It truly does. Then on February 1st, 2016, at another rally in Iowa, this time in Cedar Rapids, Trump told the crowd that his security team had told him that there uh, was a possibility that somebody in the crowd might be throwing tomatoes. And his comment was, quote, If you see somebody getting ready to throw a tomato, knock the crap out of them, would you? Seriously, just knock the hell out of them. I promise you I will pay for the legal fees. I promise there won't be so much of them because the courts agree with us, end quote. So much for never condoning violence, huh? He said it right there. Knock the crap out of them. Really? I don't know about you, but I hold presidents to a higher standard than that. And to me, that is condoning. That is actually, that's very much encouraging violence, in my opinion. <laughs> February 23rd, 2016, in Las Vegas at another campaign rally, there was a protester, and Trump said, quote, I'd like to punch him in the face, end quote. And, of course, the crowd's going wild because they love that kind of talk. And the, as the security people were removing the protester from the rally, Trump mocked the guy and said, uh, quote, he's smiling, having a good time. There's a guy, totally disruptive, throwing punches. We're not allowed to punch back anymore. I love the old days. You know what they used to do to guys like that when they were in a place like this? They'd be carried out on a stretcher, folks. End quote. Trump also referred to him as nasty as hell. And reporters who were there at the time said that there was no indication that the protester uh, was uh, resisting the security guards in any way as they removed him from the venue. They'd be carried out on a stretcher, but he doesn't condone violence. Nasty as hell. He was doing this to please his supporters and get them riled up. That was the whole point. So how does this differ from somebody standing up in a dark theater and screaming fire and having a bunch of people get trampled or killed in the melee of trying to get out of the theater that's not actually on fire. It's worse because this person is standing up on stage and everybody there came to see them talk. And this is what they're encouraging. It just goes on and on and on and on. At that same rally where he called the guy nasty as hell, 
Trump told his supporters that he would uh, support waterboarding, which is an interrogation method that was very much uh, a problem for the Bush administration. Trump said, quote, they said to me, what do you think of waterboarding? I said, I think it's great, but we don't go far enough. It's true. We don't go far enough. We don't go far enough, end quote. On February 6th in New Hampshire, Trump, talking about the same thing, added, quote, bring back a hell of a lot worse than waterboarding, end quote, if he were elected president. So I guess violence is okay during times of war. I guess so. But we do have uh, – <laughs> there are still policies and procedures on how – uh, prisoners must be treated, and uh, that seems to be an issue for Republicans. It certainly was for the Bush administration from what I remember seeing. Trump also commented that uh, police officers are afraid to do their jobs because America is becoming a frightened country. Quote, you see, in the good old days, law enforcement acted a lot quicker than this. A lot quicker. In the good old days, they'd rip him out of that seat so fast. But today, everybody's politically correct. Our country's going to hell with being politically correct. Going to hell. End quote. Repeatedly, at campaign rallies, Trump would scream, get out of here, get him out of here, get him the hell out. And his supporters would just go wild. They loved that. They loved that. He was entertaining them. He was giving them what he knew they wanted. And he was setting a bad example because by doing that, he was telling them, that's okay. This is okay. It's okay with me. <laughs> On March 9th of 2016, there was a 78-year-old white male Trump supporter who punched a black male protester being escorted out of a Trump campaign rally in Fayetteville, North Carolina. And the Trump supporter who hit the guy was recorded on video saying that he, quote, uh, enjoyed, uh, quote, knocking the hell out of that big mouth. Yes, he deserved it. The next time we see him, we might have to kill him, end quote. <laughs> so the guy that attacked the protester was arrested and charged with assault the next day. But the fact of the matter is the guy attacked the protester in front of law enforcement officers. They were standing right there. They saw the whole thing. So why wasn't he arrested right there on the spot and charged with assault? They saw it. They were eyewitnesses. There was no question about it. It was only after it hit the news 
and the country became outraged that the um, um, guy was charged. At the time, all they did was they tackled the guy and uh, uh, held him down on the ground. So, definitely a double standard here. Definitely, definitely, definitely a double standard. Let's uh, go to uh, Miami. Um, at the, uh, there was a Republican debate on March 10th in, of 2016 where uh, Trump was accused uh, of inciting violence with the uh, tone of his remarks. Uh, and uh, the insinuation was that, uh, uh, you know, his anger toward the protesters was justified. And Trump responded to Jake Tapper of CNN, quote, I will say this. We have 25,000, 30,000 people. You've seen it yourself. People come with tremendous passion and love for the country. And when they see protest, in some cases, you know, you're mentioning one case, which I haven't seen. I heard about it, which I don't like. But when they see what's going on in this country, they have anger that's unbelievable. They have anger, end quote. Then he went on to add, quote, We have some protesters who are bad dudes. They have done bad things. They are swinging. They are really dangerous. And if they've got to be taken out, to be honest, I mean we have to run something, end quote. That sure seems like he's okay with violence. And it also shows that he's very much aware of the anger of the folks in his audience and that maybe he needs to tone down the rhetoric so that he's not stirring it up so much. But I think he enjoys that. I think, I think he is very sick and demented, and I think he enjoys that. Trump will refer to protesters as thugs. Uh, you know, it's just, it's just pretty much amazing. Uh, the locker-up chants re- addressed, uh, directed at Hillary Clinton, of course, was also a uh, common thing. And there are videos where you can see Trump standing there. Just he is encouraging it, and he is loving it. He's loving it. He's got everybody completely stirred up. Instead of saying, it's okay to be angry, but you've got to... Do it at the ballot box. You got to vote. You cannot beat up people. You can't hurt people. But uh, so anyway, um, July of 2016. Uh, at this point, the 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 locker up chant. Uh, in response uh, to any mention of Hillary Clinton, who was his competitor at that point, um, was typical at all of his rallies, and uh, it it even occurred at the GOP convention. And uh, on July 19th at the uh, RNC convention, the crowd started chanting, lock her up, lock her up, lock her up, as Chris Christie was delivering a speech. 
in Colorado Springs on July 29th after uh, Trump, after resisting um, joining in on the chant at rallies, told the audience, quote, I've been saying it's just beat her on November 8th, but you know what? I'm starting to agree with you, end quote. Clinton criticized Trump at the Democratic National Convention. And in response, he said, quote, You know it's interesting. Every time I mention her, everyone screams, lock her up, lock her up. They keep screaming. And you know what I do? I've been nice. But after watching that performance last night, such lies. I don't have to be so nice anymore. I'm taking the gloves off, end quote. Yeah, I'm not stirring up any violence or anything at all, Right. It just goes on and on and on, people. It's just unreal. It, it over and over and over again. I'm looking at documentation here, and, and there's just, I have so much of it that I've saved. It's almost impossible to go through it in less than several hours, it seems like. During a speech to law enforcement officials in Long Island, New York, on July 28, 2017, Trump encouraged the police to be more violent. He said, quote, now we're, le- we're getting them, criminals, out anyway, but we'd like to get them out a lot faster. And when you see these towns and when you see these thugs being thrown into the back of a paddy wagon, you just see them thrown in, rough. I said, please don't be too nice. Like when you guys put somebody in the car and you're protecting their head, you know? The way you put their hand over, like don't hit their head and they've just killed somebody. Don't hit their head, I said. You can take the hand away, okay? End quote. So, Trump has definitely set a bad example. And... (laughs) when you have someone who is in a position of responsibility and authority and they encourage this type of behavior, is it any wonder that you're going to have something like what happened at the Pelosi house? And Trump won't accept responsibility for this because he never does. If it's something bad, he won't accept responsibility for it. But if something good happens, he'll try to take credit for it, whether he had anything to do with it or not. And I know that this podcast is a lot longer than I wanted it to be. But I just want to make sure people know that this is not normal. It is not acceptable. It is not patriotic. And it is not American. It's wrong. And the fact that we have cowards in the Republican Party who are in Congress who are afraid, by and large, almost 100% of them to stand up and say, this is wrong, this is not what America is supposed to be, only shows how much the Republican Party has deteriorated 
Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger are really the only two people that have just said no. I don't agree. They, they may not agree with the Democrats on a lot of policy, but they do agree that we're all Americans and as such, we all have to treat others with respect. And after January 6th at the U.S. Capitol and what happened at the Pelosi House, now is the time for leaders of the Republican Party to stand up and tell their supporters, this is not acceptable, folks. Because these people are not thinking straight. We have Republicans running for office that are spewing insane, crazy things and standing behind it. The furries, I mentioned that in a previous podcast, the the kids in, in grade school that identify as animals and the schools are having to put litter boxes in the bathroom to accommodate them. Are you kidding me? It's not happening, people. Why would you vote for someone who would stand there and tell you to your face that this is happening when it's not? There's not a single example of that happening anywhere. The 2020 election was not stolen. In swing states that were controlled by Republicans, they did recounts after recount after recount, and no voter fraud was found. I do remember a few popping up here and there where Republicans voted for Trump twice. But a widespread, democratic, liberal, as they like to say, voter fraud? No, it didn't happen. And not a single one of them has presented anything in the way of evidence that shows that it did. But they continue to say that that it happened. And I'll tell you why they're doing that. They're doing it because that is what they intend to do going forward. It's the Republicans who intend to steal the election by cheating And they're doing it right now by putting a bunch of people in positions of power at the county and state level who are going to ignore the electoral college vote of the people of their state. And they're going to say, we think there's a problem and we're going to turn in the electoral votes for our state or our county or whatever for our candidate. And at that point, ladies and gentlemen, democracy is dead and you have an authoritarian leader and you're going to take whatever they give you at that point. It's going to be much, much harder to get democracy back once it's gone than it is to keep it. And we're at that point right now. What's the saying about fascism? When it arrives, it's going to be wrapped in a flag and carrying a Bible. That's the Trump cult and the Republican Party today, folks. Today.
We have a Supreme Court that is not going by precedent, not going by uh, the laws. They are legislating from the bench, which is supposed to be a bad thing. At least it was, but apparently now that the Supreme Court is going to lean more toward what the Republicans want, it's okay. Get out and vote next Tuesday, folks, November the 8th. If you can early vote, please do it. Do not let the right-wingers intimidate you and prevent you from voting. You have a right to vote. They don't want people to vote because they know when lots of people show up and vote, it's almost always better for Democrats. So they're doing everything they can to keep people from voting. Don't let them prevent you from casting your vote. What we have in this country right now on the right side is wrong. It is wrong. It is not American. It is not patriotic. It is not Christian. It's not humane. It's wrong. Don't let them get away with it, folks. Please. Vote. Thank you for listening. I would be grateful to you if you'd subscribe and share this podcast to let your friends and family know about it. You can also find me on Twitter at FederalAndy, and I'd be really grateful if you would follow me. I usually follow back. Be happy, safe, and healthy, and I'll hopefully be talking to you again next week. Mm-hmm.